Dear Heavenly Father, we are so thankful that we can just spend a couple of hours in this place that we call church. Uh, we're thankful that you have created the Sabbath in such a way that it would be, that it would be a blessing for us, and we pray that we would um, not take it for granted. Yes, we pray. Amen. When I was in high school, when I was in high school, I, I played football. And one day after football practice, a group of my friends and I decided to walk home, which wasn't very far. But then we got hungry, so we decided to go eat Chinese food. Everybody loves Chinese food, I think. And I remember I, every time I would go to this Chinese place, there was, um, you know, your, the choices were right in front of you. They had all sorts of choices. And I would always look at them, and I would always get, like, the same exact thing every single time. This time, however, I was with a group of friends who didn't happen to be Adventist. And so one of them, uh, he, he was a big and tall guy, and as you can see, I am ver- I'm vertically challenged, and so I always try to do whatever I can to grow, which is, I think it's too late now. And here's what happened. So he went and he ordered rice, chow mein, and then he ordered sweet and sour pork. Now, I got the regular, you know, safe stuff, but he got sweet and sour pork, and I thought to myself, it looks tasty. And so I told him, I have never had that before. And he says, do you want to try some? And I said, I don't think I should. See, it's it's hard to have a conversation when you're 15 years old about pork and just, you know, so it's easier to say, I just don't eat pork. I just don't like the way it tastes. But however, on this particular day, before I was a pastor, long before I felt the calling on my life, when I was just an ordinary citizen, an ordinary church member, (laughs) I said, what's the worst that can happen? And it was this internal struggle in my heart that I just thought to myself, David, you're, you're not going to go to heaven if you eat this. <laughs> but as he prepared it and dipped it in the special sauce that they have, I don't know what it's called, sweet and sour, I don't know, I tasted it and it was like nothing I'd ever had before. I won't tell you if it was good or bad. <laughs> I don't think I could enjoy it because of the guilt that was assuaged on my soul that day. I'd, my, I never told my parents, don't make that mistake, but I wrestled. What is the role of the rules in the scripture, the law that we are encountered with in the first five books of the Bible? What role do they play? Are they for the Old Testament people who once upon a time needed rules? Now, if you're a parent How many of you, as a parent, when you had your first child, how many of you knew exactly how to raise that first child? Raise your hand. Bob. Of course. Of course. (laughs) You never, you're never ready. People say you're never ready to have a child. If there's never the right time, it just happens. Now, parents, how many of you have gone to buy books to know how to raise your first child? How many of you have gone to parenting seminars? How many of you have listened to Oprah or Dr. Phil or whoever it is just trying to find a way to raise your children? I think we've all done that. You see, when the Israelites, when the story in the scripture starts, the Israelites were a nation in their infancy. And what God does in the first five books of the Bible is that God provides for them a how-to on how to be the people that God was calling them to be. 
They were a nation. They were brand new. They didn't have a constitution. They didn't have laws. They had nothing. And so what God does in his mercy and in his grace is that God provides for the Israelites a way to live in the world, a way where they would get along with each other, where they wouldn't kill each other, and where they would hopefully respect one another as Israelites. What those are are called the laws of Moses. It's Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, the Torah. That is what God gives the Israelites to show them how to live. Now, I want to read a scripture. And the story that we dealt with, uh, the story that I just told about eating the sweet and sour pork is something that keeps coming up time and time and time again. And what we end up doing with things like that is where we sin one time, we think to ourselves, I'm not going to heaven. But when we do something good the next day, we think to ourselves, maybe I've gotten myself back into heaven. Have you ever felt that way? We stay away from the bad stuff so that we can make sure we're going to the place in the sky that really isn't in the sky, but it happens to be this earth, which we will talk about at another time. But we live our lives as though we're trying to make sure that we get into heaven and what ends up happening is that we become legalistic. We become so, so focused on keeping the laws that sometimes we forget that the laws were there for something so much more than just doing what they say. So I want to look at a scripture, a passage, Matthew chapter 5, verse 17 um, through 19. And this is what Jesus says. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. As Seventh-day Adventists, oh, it didn't go, there we go. As Seventh-day Adventists, we are inclined, myself included, that whenever in the New Testament we see the word the law, what do you instantly think about? Ten Commandments. And yet when Jesus was talking, he was talking about something so much more than that. For Jesus, being a Hebrew man at the time, when he says the law, when early first century people talked about the law, they were actually talking about what the Jewish people called the Torah, which is the first five books of the Bible. When Jesus uses the word the law, he wasn't just talking about Adventists' Ten Commandment understanding of it. He was talking about the entirety of the Torah, the first five books of the Bible. He says, I did not come to do away with this, nor did I come to do away with the prophets, the writings and the Old Testament, and it could be included all of the other stuff. Jesus says, I didn't come to change any of this. I didn't come to abolish it. What does he say? I did not come to abolish the law or the prophets. He goes on to say this. I did not come to abolish them, but to what? He says, I did not come to loosen them, to break them up. I did not come to do away with it and say, okay, Old Testament, you had your time in the sun, now you're done, now we're just going with New Testament, which didn't exist at Jesus' time. Jesus says, I did not come to do away with it, I've come to fulfill them. Why do you think Jesus had to say that, though? And here's where it gets to the crux of our conversation this morning. Why did Jesus have to say, I did not come to abolish them? Was it so that us as Adventists can go and tell other evangelical Christians, hey, you still have to follow the Ten Commandments and everything else in them? Is that why Jesus says this? No. The reason Jesus felt like he had to explain himself was because the religious people of the day, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the people that made the rules about what it meant to be a good Christian, those pe- or a good Jewish person at the time, those people were offended by the way Jesus lived his life. Now, 
If Jesus is God in human flesh, is it good to be on the opposite end of him? Is it good to be against God? I mean, if, if Jesus is God, isn't he always right? People were offended by the way Jesus was living his life. Do you remember the story um, in the book of John? The very first miracle of Jesus, it says that he changes water into wine. Right? We all remember that story? Now, what the story tells us is that Jesus had them fill ceremonial jars. To us, that doesn't mean a thing. But in the Hebrew culture, these were jars that held water that you would wash yourself before you would do certain rituals for, you know, religious rituals. These, in some senses, were not necessarily sacred, but they were important. They surely were not the place where you would put wine in. It was water to cleanse yourself before you worship God. And yet Jesus takes what is sacred, and what does he do? He fills them with wine. People had a problem with the way Jesus lived his life. Have you ever found that people have a problem with the way you live your life? And yet Jesus says, I have not come to do away with what has been written. I have come to what? Fulfill them. I have come to show you the right way to live. Now, there's two groups of people in the world. There is religious people who, in order to show them that you actually believe God, you live a certain way. And so you dress a certain way and you eat certain things and you don't eat other things and you don't drink some stuff, but you only drink approved drinks. And so for one group of people, there is one, you have to live your life a certain way in order for them to be convinced that you are actually a good Christian, right? Then there's another group of people where it's everything else, where you're not religious, you're not a Christian, you live your life however you want to. And so there's these two groups. The problem is that we can't ever fit into one group. Like we can't always do what the Bible says all the time, can we? Have you tried? Can you? I try hard all the time, and I'm not very good at it. But I'm also not in the other group where I just do whatever I want to and let the pieces fall where they may. But for Jesus, he says, listen, there is a way to, be, to live what the scriptures are saying, but it doesn't look like this, like the way the religious people were doing it, and it doesn't look like this, where you just do whatever you want. And so what Jesus does, he says, I have come to show you the right way to live, which is what we call the way of Jesus. Jesus comes to fulfill the law, not to do away with it. Now, to show you what this is talking about, let's go to another text. And somebody asked me last week um, if I'm using the, new, the NIV, the New International Version. I'm not, but I think I need to start using because that's what we But what I've done is I've put the scriptures up here because I use what's called the English Standard Version, which is Um, For me, it's one of the better ones that I've come across. And so um, I'll be using that from time to time, but I'll also be using it in the the weeks to come. Now, let's look at Matthew 23. What does Jesus say? I didn't come to do away with with the law. I've come to show you how to actually live it out. And then he goes on to this. Then Jesus said to the crowds, The scribes and the Pharisees sit on Moses' seat. So practice and observe whatever they tell you, but not what they do. For they preach, but they do not practice. They preach, but they do not practice. In those days, it was very thinkable 
that each village, each city only had one Bible. And that Bible was in the synagogue, and not everybody had access to it. So whenever you wanted to hear the scriptures read, where would you go? I think for some of you that's still true today. Sometimes the only scripture we get is in church. I was like that too, don't worry. But see, that's why for them, the synagogue was important because that was the only time that they would get the scriptures. And so Jesus says, as bad as the Pharisees are, as hypocritical as they are, listen to what they say because they are the only ones that have the scriptures. They are the only ones who have access to this. So listen to what they say, but don't practice as they practice. And then Jesus takes a very intentional shot. He says, they tie up heavy burdens hard to bear and lay them on people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to move them with their finger. They do all their deeds to be seen by others. I know a person, no, I'm not going to use that illustration. They tie up heavy burdens and lay them on people's shoulders, but they will not do a thing to help. What the Pharisees were doing at this time, there was already all of the laws of Moses, but what the Pharisees and the religious leaders were doing is that they they were beginning to add more and more and more laws to what was already there. So they were adding to Scripture. They were adding to the laws of Moses. They kept adding because they thought that if we add more laws and people keep these, then they'll never actually break the ones that are in the Bible. Does that make sense? So it's as though they were building fences around the laws so that you wouldn't be able to get to the laws to break them. There was a belief in the first century that if there was one person, one Jewish person, who could live perfectly for an entire day, that then the Messiah would come because someone was able to be perfect for a day. Do you ever try to live your life like that? Like if only you could be better today than you were yesterday? And you spend all of your time and all of your effort trying not to sin? I have um, my, my soon-to-be stepkids. They, they always ask me questions because I'm a pastor. And so they think I have all the answers, so I pretend that I do. <laughs> and they ask me, is it a sin to do this? Usually it's, is it a sin to say this word? And then they say it. <laughs> Not usually bad ones. And I was like, well, I don't know if it's a sin, but don't say it. And, and is it a sin to do this? And then their friends will be over, and they'll be like, hey, pastor, is it a sin? And, and it's like this constant dialogue of, is this a sin? Is this a sin? As though they're trying to figure out what is okay to do and what is not to do. And I tell them, you're asking the wrong question. You're focusing on sin, but that's the wrong question to ask. In the beginning, God created what? Heaven and earth. The story we have in creation begins where? In a garden where everything was what? Perfect. The way it was supposed to be. The story begins with God and his grace creating a world for humanity to inhabit. When God dreamed of perfection, that's what God created. Sin doesn't come until three chapters later in the story. And yet, as Christians, sometimes all we ever focus on is chapter 3, where sin comes into the world. What we have to be reminded of is that before there was sin, there was perfection. Before there was sin, there was perfection. 
but we go about our lives only focusing on sin, and when we do that, we forget that there is a promise that one day God will renew all things and make all things new, and that one day there will be no more pain and no more suffering, where one day things will be the way they were always supposed to be. But when we only focus on sin and the law, we miss the point that there is salvation waiting for us. We miss the point that one day there will be the great resurrection where there will be no more death. Sin is the wrong question to ask about. And Jesus tells them, they tie up heavy burdens and bear them down and they, and they load them on people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to move a finger. The burdens that these Pharisees were talking about is that all they did was they were always on the lookout to call people sinners when they would do something sinful. Now, do you like the people in your life that are always pointing out your deficiencies and your sins? Well, no, no, wait. <laughs> you might like them because they might be your husband or wife or mom or dad. <laughs> you might love them and like them, but you hate it when they point it out. How about that? That's a better question. So these Pharisees, all they were worried about was finding people's sins. And so there was, you know, it gets to the point where people are just like, I'm just going to ignore them and I'm going to walk the other way if I see them on the street because they've become the moral police. And instead of them being the leaders, they they made it harder for people to come to God. They would take doctrines and load them heavy on people. Now, let me give you an example. I, I didn't bring the illustration, so I'll use it another day. But sometimes when we talk about Sabbath, Sabbath is a blessing, yeah? It should be. And yet for a lot of the people that I talk to, Sabbath has become heavy. It has become a burden, and we, take, and we tend to use words like, you're not keeping the Sabbath very well. I don't even know what that means. You're not keeping the Sabbath? Are you a Sabbath keeper? No, I'm a follower of Jesus. How about that? My uncle, who was here a few weeks ago, he's a Lutheran. And I always give him a hard time about Sabbath. <laughs> Because I'm not, I'm not dividing a wedge, we're, we're good. We talk about this stuff all the time. And he says, Sabbath is a gift to man. And I said, I know. And I also happen to go to church on that day, and I love it. I said, Sabbath has to be different. It's not the same as every other day. It can't be the same because then it loses its meaning. But when we start talking about are you keeping, here's, here's the other thing. There are Sabbath keepers and Sunday what? Keepers. But if you talk to a Sunday person, do they really talk like that? I sometimes feel that we load people heavy with words like, you're not keeping the Sabbath very well. Did you know that that's what they said about Jesus when he was getting grain from the grain field with his disciples? Do you know that they said that about Jesus when he was healing the blind, healing the crippled? Now, I'm not going to tell you what's right or wrong to do on the Sabbath, at least not today. <laughs> I mean, you know, it works for, I know what works for me. But the reality is, is that sometimes we take the Sabbath and we load it heavy on people's shoulders. And we don't, don't do this. You can only watch Discovery Channel and only if it's about animals, but you can't watch it if it's about something else. <laughs> My seven-year-old was having a a discussion with another seven-year-old explaining to him that you can only watch the nature channels on Saturday, but nothing else. And I just sat there like, 
I didn't say anything. I thought it was hilarious. I don't, I don't watch that on Saturday, but it's, it has nothing to do with this. I just, I find those shows boring. I'll just tell you right now. I'd rather be outside walking, enjoying the day. The reality is, is that sometimes what was a gift and what was beautiful and what was intended for you, not only to spend time with God, because you're supposed to be spending time with God every single day, not just today, every single day, but when you are also supposed to enjoy everything that God has created, not just nature, but your wife or your husband, your kids, spend time together because at the end of your life, you're not going to remember the things that you bought. You're going to remember the moments you spent with the people you love. Sabbath is a window into eternity. Sabbath is what is called a palace in time where we get a glimpse of what eternity will be like. And God gives us this hint of how beautiful it's going to be. But I think that sometimes we load it so heavy on people that it's no longer something beautiful. It's no longer something, um, but it's no longer something that's a blessing, but it becomes something that is so harsh that people then begin to step away from the Sabbath and say, Sunday looks better to me because no one is telling me what to do. Sometimes something as good as being healthy and eating healthy becomes a burden when we begin to look at people and say, you shouldn't be eating that. The other side of the conversation is, but Jesus ate this, but he didn't have Ellen White. Have you ever heard that one before? <laughs> I always side with Jesus, just to let you know. You can ask me to go pastor another church if you want to, but I always side with Jesus. <laughs> He's the only one that gives me salvation. <laughs> Sometimes what is good is loaded on people so heavy that it becomes a curse and is no longer a blessing. Jesus was dealing with that when he says, look, just because I'm living my life differently than what you want, it doesn't mean that I've come to do away with what's been true. I haven't come to do away with the law. I've come to show you another way to live. And if you follow in the footsteps of Jesus, you will be living the way God always wanted you to live. And so they say you tie heavy burdens. And so Jesus, you know, Jesus never stays quiet, I don't think. He always has a word for us. I'm going to go through a couple of these because I already went through them. But Jesus also has a word, and this is the final text that I'm using, but Jesus also has a word for the people who, who weigh other people down. Matthew eleven twenty eight says this, Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. There was a group of people called the Pharisees and the Sadducees who would load people with heaviness. They would take their religion and they would pile it on people and say, you have to do all of this if you're going to be a good Jew. And Jesus says, no. There is another way, and the way that I'm coming to show you is not heavy. My yoke is light, is what Jesus says. Now, when we think of a yoke, we think of the thing that we put on, on oxen or whatever kind of animals that carry this heavy yoke. And so for many years, I've, for a long time, I heard this illustration, but it never quite made sense. Why does Jesus have a yoke? Well, I don't understand that. Until I was presented with an understanding of the text that makes all the sense and makes all the difference. In the first century, a rabbi would have a set of teachings, and they would teach their disciples. That is also called a yoke. 
every rabbi makes interpretations about the text. This verse says this, and this is what I think it means. Even if it's a literal interpretation, it's still interpretation. Jesus had a set of teachings, right? He had 12 disciples, right? Jesus was more than a rabbi, but he also functioned as a rabbi. Are we on the same page with that? He wasn't just a rabbi. He was rabbi plus, I guess you could say. He had a set of teachings, and it was called a yoke. Jesus says, take my yoke upon you, and what? Learn from me. You learn from teaching. And you will find rest for your souls. Anytime someone loads you down with how you must be, you have to take the moment to stop and step back and ask, but what is the motivation behind this? All of us want to be good. Isn't that true? I mean, we all mostly want to be good. But you must do good Give glory to God, not to get yourself into heaven. Is that clear? And so you ask, well, is a murderer going to get into heaven? Maybe. I lie sometimes. Am I getting into heaven? I sometimes have ego issues. Am I going to get into heaven? Well, we end up... I'm not always nice. (laughs) Am I going to get into heaven? You see, what we have done is we have taken sin and given it certain levels of badness to less bad. The reality is, is any time you're living outside of the way God created you to live, it's sin. Sin is sin. If you're getting into heaven and you're a sinner, are other sinners going to heaven? That's hard for us to grasp because I've never killed anyone. I've never physically hurt somebody with my fists or a bat or a golf club. I don't know. I try to stay nice and even. (laughs) I look at those people and I think, those people, I'm better than they are. Because we've learned that some sins are worse than others, but the reality is in God's eyes, is one one sin worse than another? The Bible teaches us that if if you break one law, you break all of them. The point is this. The law isn't there to gauge how you are to heaven or not. Jesus is the only way. When religion gets heavy on your shoulders, then you have to take the time to ask yourself, is my faith in the religion that I am a part of, or is it in Jesus? Too many times in my life, I don't know about yours, my faith was in the church when it should have been in Jesus. When your faith is in Jesus, the Bible says that he has come to set us free and we are free indeed. There is nothing you can do to separate you from the love of God. There is nothing you can do that will separate you from the love of God. There is nothing you can do that will separate you from the love of God. There is nothing you can do that will separate you from the love of God. It doesn't mean that you're not a sinner. It means that in spite of the sins, God still chooses to love you. God still chooses to rain blessings down upon you. And God will continue to walk alongside you 
as long as you're willing to have him. I think God is so persistent that even if you're not willing to have him, he'll still be there on the ready in case we do. We must live our lives as though everything we do is done to the glory of God. And then some of these little questions won't matter anymore. Is this bad word a sin? I turn the conversation over on the kids all the time and I say, you should ask, does this give glory to God? Stop trying to be good because you're always going to be bad. (laughs) That's not good parenting, right? But it's in the context of pastor to... Our kids are not bad, Kim. (laughs) I'm going to need to write home somebody. But I tell them, and I tell Kim, and I tell everybody I can, stop trying to be good. Because that's a futile endeavor. You will never be fully good because there's always going to be bad things that you do. Instead, in all things, do them to the glory of God. When you are doing something out of love, it's a whole lot easier to stay away from some things. When you're doing things out of love, even when it's difficult, you don't care because you're showing somebody that you love them. When it comes to your spirituality and your religious life, instead of focusing on sin and what is bad, focus instead on what will give God the glory and then do that. And ask yourselves that every single day. Let's pray. God, we are, um, we are so blessed. We are lucky. We are to have you as our God and to know that you don't give up on us. God, you know better than each one of us how sinful we are. So we're not going to try to make excuses. But what we pray, Lord, what I pray for myself and for my friends is that as we encounter situations that will lead us either to sin or not to sin, that your Holy Spirit would be so alive inside of us that we would choose the path that only gives you glory and honor. You are our king, Lord. We need your help so that we would live a life that brings you honor and glory. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.